I'd like you to take your Bibles and we're, um, we're going to go to a different kind of passage. So we're out of, outside of the book of Revelation because we're going to focus on Thanksgiving. Not that we couldn't do that there as well, but we'll return there in two weeks. So as Tom mentioned this morning, uh, Travis Cochran, my son-in-law, is going to be preaching next Sunday on uh, the Cochran family. Uh, is here. And so we're looking forward to that. And then two weeks from today, we'll go back to the book of Revelation. But I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then if you will, if you can, uh, join me in standing as we read the word of God together. So we're just going to, we're going to drop down to verse 12. And we're going to read through verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy in order that me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And then to close us in verse 17, now to the king, eternal immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And if you agree with that, you can amen as well. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your holy and perfect word. We thank you for all that you've given us, which is beyond and above all that we could ask or think. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that as we look more closely into your word, as we consider thanksgiving and gratitude, that you would make our hearts tender and receptive. Teach us, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, together. Amen. Well, we've all been on the receiving end, all of us in this room, of what we call typically ungratefulness, or we might call it ingratitude. And sometimes it might be something minor. It might be what we would call a small slight, or it seems like it's something small. But other times it can be much more significant. It can be a significant oversight or some form of neglect. The bottom line is it can potentially and oftentimes does, whether we admit it out loud or not, it can gnaw at us. It can, it can poke, it can sting, and ultimately it can deeply hurt. We may try to shrug it off as, no, it's no big deal. Or maybe there's something that, that I miss, something I don't know, but many times it really affects us and it stays with us and may even, unfortunately, change our attitude towards certain individuals, if not also our personal readiness to to maybe give of ourselves in that same way again. Well, whether it's an absent thank you note, 
or a persistent complaining spirit, we have all been there. We all have our own personal stories, our personal experiences of, of what I'll simply call this morning gratitude wanting. Well, all that said, let's, let's really think through this this morning. Because while we can easily see ungratefulness in others, that's not difficult, is it? Are we perhaps more tolerant of it in ourselves? And again, while the realm of interpersonal relationships may seem to be the primary area of neglect, the root of an ungrateful attitude or an ungrateful spirit goes far deeper. And we can see that in the scriptures. And I'm going to start out in Romans chapter 1. Where we read in, in that first chapter, beginning in verse 18. And I want to keep this, this section fairly brief. I'd like to read more. But I'm just going to begin reading in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was dark and professing to be wise, they became fools. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul begins to outline a, some characteristics of those in the last days, of, of those who don't know God and, and pretty much populate the earth. But realize this, he writes the beginning of that chapter, that in the last days, difficult, time will, difficult times will come. That seems understated, doesn't it, as we look at the book of Revelation. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. What's next in that list? Ungrateful. Ungrateful and unholy. And there's a total of 21 negative ungodly traits that Paul uses, probably not an exhaustive list, but to characterize those who don't know the Lord. So ungratefulness here then is directly connected in the scriptures to a twisted upside down worldview. A twisted worldview that, that denies, that sidelines our God and puts man in that entitlement seat. This is what drives the world. And when popular culture becomes too influential, as I think it is today, even professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can begin to see who they are and what they have in a very wrong way. And God, in the process, gets fewer thank yous and increased complaints. True gratefulness, and I would define that as being consistent, 
It's an attitude, it's a lifestyle, and from the heart, it's real, it's deep, it goes down to the core of who we really are. I'm convinced only comes from a right view of and a right relationship with our God. And this is brought up beautifully in the very word that's used in our New Testaments that is commonly translated as thanks or thanksgiving or even gratitude or grateful. And so when we turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, back where we were just a few moments ago, I want you to home in on just the beginning of verse 12. So we began in verse 12, Paul giving his testimony. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want you to zoom in a little bit further there because we have that word thank used right there in verse 12. One word here. One word here at the beginning of Paul's testimony in verses 12 through 17, and it acts as kind of a a password of sorts, if you will, to unlock the rest of the passage. How many times have have you forgotten an important password and you you try and you try again and you 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 begin to get a headache, you're stretching your brain and you you try to think of every combination. It's just one word. Just one word, just one combination of words and, and letters and numbers and and you're but you're actually absolutely stalled. You can't go anywhere until you get it, right? Well, there's somewhat of a spiritual parallel here in verse 12. Well, let me explain. The word that's translated thank in verse 12 is is the Greek word charis. Charis. In our English transliteration, we might spell it C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. Now, why is this particular word significant? Now, here's the beauty, and I want you to make this connection, and I never want you to forget it. It's significant because it's the same word that we regularly translate in our New Testaments as grace. As grace, which has its roots in the Old Testament Hebrew term, likely meaning to to bend over, to stoop down, which then developed into this idea of extending favor or kindness to one who doesn't deserve it and could never, ever earn it. Directionally, it always comes from the top down, from the highest place to the very lowest place. The Bible explains to us over and over again what this marvelous charis is, what this marvelous grace is. And I'm just going to read a few portions to kind of stir our memories. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, Paul writes, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. We know verse 23 in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But do we always attach verse 24? Because it's really one sentence. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. 
Over in chapter 5, which we're probably well familiar with as well, that chapter begins this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest news in all the world, right? Verse 2, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. This specific grace that can only come from our God through Jesus Christ. And then he adds, in which we stand. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your position. You stand inside his grace and we exult because of that in the hope of the glory of God. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, these amazing words. And if you don't regularly read that first chapter of Ephesians, you need to do that on a regular basis to remind yourself of what God has done for you and your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul begins this letter in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of what? His grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He tells us in chapter 2 of Ephesians that, that we are all lost that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are stand in a hopeless position. Then there's a little three-letter word in verse 4. It begins that verse. B-U-T means it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story because God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. How? By grace, you were saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. Not just his grace, the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, he can't stop. I get the picture here that the Holy Spirit is just filling Paul with all of this truth and his, and his pen is just... You know, it's running out. There's limitations to the Greek language. There's limitations to the English language. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Grace. It's everywhere. This is grace. It's what we're all about. It's what we stand in. It's why we're here this morning. Undeserved. Do you really believe that? It's undeserved, folks. That's what the word grace means. That's what charis means. It's absolutely undeserved. It's absolutely, we just read about it, freely given by God. It's unentitled. It's a beautiful, unearned gift from above. 
Do you like games? Card games, board games? Do you like learning a new game? Sometimes that can be kind of a struggle, right? Maybe you go over to somebody's house or, or your kids introduce you to a new game or you're just in a, some kind of social gathering and somebody says, hey, I want you to learn this great new game. And you're like, uh. You know, and there's like 400 rules with 300 exceptions and you're supposed to get it, right? And you're just like lost. Your eyes are spinning and you're just like, everybody else, don't you hate it when everybody else gets it? Everybody else is sitting around there, oh, great game. And you're just like, I have no idea what's going on, where I am, or what I'm doing. But then, if it really is a great game, all of a sudden, one day, one night, one hour, one minute, it clicks. Right? Do you remember when Grace clicked? Do you remember the moment that Grace clicked? I do. It was my wedding day. I'd been reading the Bible. I had just started to go to church, and I really thought I was a believer. I had, I had made a, a, a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, but there was something I was still holding back. I had been raised in a, in a religious system where you just had to do stuff, and, and there was this little part of me that still believed that I'm contributing something to this. I really believed it, and I couldn't get past it. Until my wedding day. A couple hours before my wedding day, grace clicked. And what happens when grace clicks? I thought, I don't deserve this relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how I felt. I don't deserve it. My goodness. What would God have to do with somebody like me? I didn't believe, deserve this wedding day. I didn't deserve this beautiful bride who is about to come down the aisle. What does she want with me? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this amazing life that God has just begun to open up for me. That I'm just beginning to, to plow into. And I, I had such a hunger for the word, I couldn't put it down. Every day I wanted to read it. It was so brand new. It was so exciting. I don't deserve all that. I started to cry. And I'm not a crier. But I cried. I got down on my knees and I cried. And when you're overwhelmed by all of that, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve these gifts. I don't deserve these people. I don't deserve this lady. What is the only appropriate response? What is it? Thank you. Right? Isn't that the only appropriate response? When you are convinced in your heart that you don't deserve something, you cannot help but respond with, thank you. That's what grace does. That's what happens when grace clicks. How do we get there? How do we get to the point where we, we understand the depth of grace when we... When we when we get to that point beyond where we sometimes, when we're Christians for a long time, we begin to fall in love with the system again. And when we fall in love with the system, the first thing that we do is the system measures how spiritual we are. Falsely, I might add, but it measures. And so then 
we put ourselves back in the equation. Somehow we become part of the system and whatever we contribute to it is how much we're growing in Christ and we become proud and what happens? Grace is back there somewhere. We've lost sight of grace. Well, Paul brings us back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul brings us back to having a consistent grace perspective. Paul brings us back to having a heart depth grace perspective. And how does that happen? And I'd like to close with this. A few things that we can pick up in Paul's dramatic testimony here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. The first thing that I think that can help to promote that grace perspective is the source perspective. And there's really two basic aspects to this really. The first one is simply this. God alone is the one who gives me all that I need. God alone is the one who gives me all that I need. Do you believe that? Look what Paul says in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Who did it? Who gave Paul the ability? God. Who gave Paul the direction, the purpose, what he was supposed to do? God did it, right? He is understanding the source. He gives me all that I need. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1 tells us that, gives us this long list and then says, God has basically given us every single thing that we need. There's nothing left out. Now, I didn't say want, I said need. And Paul writes back in Ephesians chapter 3, these amazing words. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Where does that all come from? What is the source? I am what I am because of him. I am what I am because of him. When we lose touch with that, we lose grace and we're not as thankful anymore. Isn't it true? The second part of that is I don't deserve any of the blessings that I have. That's a little more difficult to swallow in this entitlement culture. I don't deserve any of the blessings that I have. Verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Even though is significant. Even though. Those are important words. Because Paul is recognizing who he was, where his heart was, and he did nothing to contribute anything to it. But God got a hold of him. Even though, what's your even though list look like? If you were to write out on a piece of paper, even though, like the Apostle Paul, how many different things could you come up with? You might have not led the life the Apostle Paul did, I doubt that you were an aggressor, that you were a blasphemer, all of these different things and hunted down believers. But there's a long list of even though. 
And I bet if we took the time, we could come up with all kinds of different things that characterized our lifestyle, that characterized the, the way that we thought about things, the way that we thought the world worked, and the, our selfish motives, and our, our thoughts, and our sins, and our habits, and our attitudes, and our anger, and all of these different things, even though. And God looked over all that, didn't he? Because the even though list is like a big formula. So here's your list, and at the very bottom it says, equals you and I undeserved. Right? That's what we get to at the bottom of the list. Undeserved. And I'm not saying it takes a list of a hundred things to be undeserved. It can be one thing on the list. Even though that would be very unrealistic. But it would still equal undeserved. Number two, we have the sufficiency perspective. Look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And the grace, the charis of our Lord was more than abundant. More than abundant. Kind of home in on that, that phrase right there. It's one word in the original Greek language, and it's only used here in all the New Testament. It means to be present in superabundance. That's a way of saying God supplies grace above and beyond even what you need. That's his grace. Above and beyond. You know, we've talked often about this, but it just still floors me because I was using our wood stove again this morning and piling it full of wood and we're warm and toasty up at the house. And every time I look at that wood pile, I just think of that Saturday that we got together and went to pick up a cord and a half or two cords of wood and ended up with seven or eight. It's like the loaves and the fishes and wood, Right. Super abundant, above and beyond. And then the story doesn't end there. The next day, Sunday, Dr. Matt, who guys know that attend our men's Bible study, he doesn't attend here. He's a friend of mine, lives in Portland, used to be our VM dentist. Just pulls up in the driveway. Matt, what are you doing here? Oh, I just brought some kindling, and he's got these massive things about this high, two massive things. There's one for you, one for the church. My God, my God, over and above, super abundance. Now, that's not going to happen every time. We know that in the physical realm. It's not going to happen like that every time. But his grace is going to be like that every time. Sometimes you can't measure it. It might be the ability to get through a difficult time. It might be a presentation that you have to make. It, it may be when you feel like you're at the end of yourself and you, you just can't get through another day. It may be when you're very weary and tired or you're going through something where you have physical limitations or, or you're going through a very blue, depressing time in your life. And you just feel this cloud kind of hovering over your head. His grace is always super abundant. We could never look at God and say to him, I can't get through this time because your grace is out. It's empty. It's not there. 
It's always there. We may be out. We may feel empty. We may be at the end of ourselves. But he's ready to pour that grace in. Above and beyond. And the last thing that I see in, that can encourage us in, in promoting this grace is the sovereign perspective. And that's in verse 17. I love the way he ends his testimony. How many of us end our testimony this way? Where all of a sudden he shifts. He's, he's described all these amazing things that God has done for him. And he says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is recognizing the great thing that promotes thanksgiving more than anything else. He is king, not me. He rules my life, not me. He is in control at the center, the ultimate authority, not me. When the perspective is reversed, what our spoiled me first culture promotes, we pout. And when we don't get what we want, God is seen as utilitarian, obligated to give us what we determine we need and then so much for gratefulness. Is that how our culture operates? Now you understand when we see that downward spiral in Romans chapter 1. And we see that list in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which includes ungratefulness. Why? Because when we're in the driver's seat, when we sit on the throne chair and we determine what we need and what we want, and we don't get it, what do we do? We pout and we complain. Christians shouldn't be in that position, right? But we do it. We do it. Every one of us in this room has done it. And I believe we do it when we forget about grace. Grace is behind us, and we forget. Because grace and thanksgiving are eternally linked. They're eternally linked. When we remember grace, and we see him on the throne, and we think, oh my, I am related to a God who always has my best interest in his mind. And I can't understand it because I'm not God. But I trust him because he can't do anything but perfection. He can't do anything but holiness. He can't do anything less than good and perfect. When I begin to think that way, what is the only viable response? Thank you. That's why give thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't make sense to the world. The world would look at that and go, you've got to be kidding me. What on earth? I give thanks when I get something I want. Right? That's the appropriate time to give thanks. But the Bible says give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of grace. Because of grace. God operates in a whole different way as our eternal, immortal king. He is in control, not you and I. And when we recognize that and we bring grace forward and we remember that we stand in grace, we can do that. Thanks and grace, remember, are the same thing in many ways. They come from the same root. They're translated the same way. So we have the source, 
We have the sufficiency and we have the sovereignty. Are you thankful? Will you be thankful tomorrow? Will you be thankful tomorrow when that guy cuts you off on I-205? Will you be thankful when things don't exactly go your way? Remember grace. We don't deserve any of this. Do you believe that? Because if you don't, you don't understand grace. It's something other. You're living in law. Your company is the Pharisees. If you believe in grace, your company is that great multitude in heaven in the book of Revelation. Remember those folks? Whose robes were washed in the blood of Jesus and they are clothed now with the righteousness of Christ because of his sacrifice. Did they deserve it? Did they deserve, deserve those robes? No, every one of them might have a big G on it or a big C for grace. Remember that as we approach Thanksgiving this week. It's one day out of the year. But remember that grace and thanks come from the same source. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this testimony of the Apostle Paul. And we thank you, Lord, for the grace that has entered into each one of our lives. We know we don't deserve it. We know we wouldn't be here today had it not been for your marvelous love and grace that brought us into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And so, Lord, we lift up your name as we close. We give you all the praise, the honor, the glory, and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.